Today is our exclusive Rider Skills program on Adventure Rider Radio, and this one has something for everyone because this is our Dirt Rider Refresher, designed to cover all those everyday dirt riding skills that we need to make our ride more fun, safe, and perhaps with less picking up of the motorcycle. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Sam Simon 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 CyclePump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Well, there is plenty to remember when you're riding an adventure motorcycle in the dirt, and often challenges present themselves rather quickly, leaving little time for contemplation. And that's when having the skills built into your muscle memory can make all the difference between an exhilarating ride or another exercise in picking up your motorcycle, or even worse. So to get some things clear in our mind, to talk about these things that we run into, Clinton Smout is going to walk us through just about every challenge that we find while riding adventure motorcycles in the dirt. And if you're a regular listener to Adventure Rider Radio's Rider Skills, these conversations will probably spark memories of different episodes we've done where we've covered each one of these things in detail. So we're just going to brush over them today and get some tips in there, along with some stories of typical of Clinton. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. For most people, there are times when you're going to go a certain stretch without riding. For people who live in the Northern Hemisphere, you may live in a place where there's snow in the wintertime. That's certainly going to negate riding throughout the winter. Other people who live in a place where you can ride all the time may find there's certain spans of time where they don't ride. So for this episode of Rider Skills, we're doing a dirt rider refresher course for adventure motorcyclists. Well, let's say street-based motorcycles. We're going to touch on just about every type of riding situation with refresher tips and instructions to get us thinking and sort of fresh again. So I guess we'll start with before we go and and talk about that sort of thing. What sort of general tips do you have for for anyone riding an adventure bike? And an adventure bike, we're going to use that term, and we often use that term, of course, on the show, but that it can be any bike as we know. Absolutely. Any bike they're riding in the dirt that, that you are. For sure. So whether or not the snow's just melted or, you know, maybe you live in Brisbane, Australia, and you've just been working like crazy and you can't ride your bike to work. So it's been a month since you've been on it. I think anytime we're away from our motorcycle, things can change. Tire pressure, especially for you and I, like my bikes 
have sat for four and a half months because I ride very late into the season. So in four and a half months, lots of things can happen to a motorcycle, especially where you store it. Uh, what I do is I take some tape and I tape off the intake to my air box and that will minimize rodents getting in there having a party with your air filter and bringing in some nesting components because mm-hmm. that I've bought many used bikes and you know you hear that old story oh yeah it ran when I put it away yeah. <laughs> and then you get it home and I always take the air box cover off just to see if I have any any unwanted friends in there. Um, hopefully you haven't just left the battery in it, especially in you know the northern part of North America. A freezing cold battery over four and a half months, it's it's dead. You might not even be able to recharge it. So a trickle charger is worth, I don't know, $70. So it's cheap economy. Do you have a recommendation for how long is the maximum amount of time you would let your bike sit without disconnecting the battery? Yeah, I think anything over a couple of months, I'm plugging it into a charger. Okay. So you don't necessarily have to disconnect it. You're just saying either disconnect it or put a charger on it, a trickle charger. Yeah. Right. So a general check over of the bike is what you're saying? to, to before, Yes. To get going, right? Airbox, battery, I check the tires. Um, Hopefully they were inflated properly when you put it away and I clean them so I don't have rust on my rims, things like that. Same with the chain. I try to put it away nice and oiled up so it's ready to go. And uh, make sure you check your tire pressure because with temperature, ambient temperature changes, your tire pressure changes. So they're probably soft in the spring. And some police officers have attributed that spring crash to not just less traction on the roads, but poor tire pressure. Mm. Yeah, Because that that's sense. something in a police report, it's often checked is what was the tire pressure. That's a good tip. Yep. Anything else um, before we're getting on the bike? Yeah, for that, you've been away for the bike for a while. Just make sure... It runs smoothly, can idle, you know, everything's okay. Check the fluids, oil, fuel before you head out. Uh, I remember one spring I got my bike out and I forgot that I'd siphoned gas out for the snowblower. So I'm buzzing along and I I heard and felt that sensation of a bike starving for fuel, that little hiccup. So I reached down, it was an old, old BMW boxer. With the two, they actually have two fuel taps on either side of the tank. So I reached down to put it on reserve, only to find it was already on reserve. Oh, no. I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and so I push my bike off to the side of the road and start walking. And I got picked up by this fun family that were going to a wake, and. It was, they were all Irish, so it wasn't like a sad occasion going to this wake. So they said, you know, you got to come in and have a beer and say hello, and then we'll take you to get gas, and then we'll run you back to your bike. So 
it turned out to be a fun event. <laughs> that, that goes right into, you know, I think of Ted Simon's book where he says he's wondering what, you know, who, what interesting person will come along to help him now. That's, that's exactly. a, a great little experience. Very lucky. But, uh, you know, I was an idiot. I should have checked the gas. I always store a metal tank right to the cap. So it does any metal above fuel will rust in my climate. So, but I use the snowblower a lot. Where can I get some gas? I'm out. I don't want to drive to a gas station. So, so you just assumed because you know your tanks are always full that you're leaving with a full tank of fuel. That's why yeah. And this doesn't have a gauge because it's the older nope. motorcycles, no gauge or anything that you can see. There's Nothing. no alert to it. So yeah, yeah. I, can, I can see how you can get stuck with that. Idiot move. So <laughs> it's good to check those things. Most of our modern bikes now have a fuel gauge. Okay. So for riding in the dirt, I think I was thinking that we, we should talk about um, sitting and standing. And yeah, sort of what absolutely. Works best. So can you just talk about that to, for a minute? Yeah, I think overall, whether you decide you should sit more or stand more, if you haven't been on your bike for a season or a month or so, for whatever reason, your skills are a little rusty. You can't be a virtuoso rider or sports player or violin player unless you practice. And if you haven't practiced, you're not going to be as good at whatever you're doing as you were the last time you rode it. Now, day-to-day makes a big difference. But the best riders in the world, in a competitive sense, they practice after the race, before the race, and they continually strive to keep their skill sets honed. Um, there's a great book, Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know if you've heard of that American yeah. author, Jim. Yeah, no, I've read several of his books, actually. Yeah, and he talks about, you know, why is Bill Gates, why did he become, you know, one of the best software writers in the world? Outliers why, is the book you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Thank you. I knew you'd know it. Uh, why did the Beatles be incredibly successful? And he talks about 10,000 hours if you apply 10,000 hours to your riding practice, riding skills, you'll be an incredibly adept rider in whatever discipline of motorcycling you're doing. So the one of the exception or one of the examples he uses was a violinist. If you practiced 5,000 hours, you could perhaps become one of the New York Symphony violinists orchestral wise but you're not going to be that one person that stands up with the spotlight on them when you haven't done 10,000 hours Mm -hmm. and and it's very similar to motorcycling riding an adventure bike off-road in my opinion Um, we celebrate when people and congratulate them when they take rider training but we've had people return the following season with the same gas that was in the tank when they left last year. So even though they had some skill set starting, they didn't practice. Mm -hmm. So you got the instruction, you didn't do your part, which is the practice. And he was saying with the 10,000 hours, Malcolm Gladwell was, his point was that that seems to be a magical number in just about everything or everything that he researched. And he's not the only one because he was sort of quoting other people's research. That 10,000 hours seems to be a magical number that that's what it takes to get 
really, really good to be, you know, sort of tops in your field as far as skill level, whether, like you said, violin, motorcycle, whatever. Yes. So that's the Graham Jarvis, Chris Birch type people. Uh, so Clinton maybe I, yeah, I have about 500 hours <laughs> compared to <laughs> oh, those guys. Because I think we all reach a point where we're, we're almost happy with, and I don't know, I don't want to use the word complacent, but some people will get their motorcycle license and then never take a rider training course afterwards. I meet them at every bike show. They walk by the booth and I'll smile and say, hello, are you interested in any rider training? You know, I've been riding for 19 years, buddy. And they just walk off. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, but you haven't progressed. And, you know, there's new curriculum, new ideas of training. Have you ever ridden off-road? Because that makes you a better street rider. So I've always strived to keep learning, keep practicing. And especially as I'm in my 60s now, my body is going to take uh, more time to reach the level of riding that I was last season, a little bit longer probably. My reflexes are slowing down. Uh, cognitive still there, although I'm forgetful, but I'm a little creakier. It might take a little more effort to throw a leg over the seat of a tall adventure bike than it did when I was 34, because now I'm going to be 64 very soon. Mm-hmm. So those are all things to think of is that have you warmed yourself up? You know, you, you don't want to pull a groin muscle or something getting on and off your bike just because yeah. you're not as limber as you used to be. The other thing that if you're not riding all the time, we talk about the 10,000 hours, et cetera, or if you've been off because your season is cold and you don't ride, whatever the reason, you're not physically fit, like for riding, you're not ride fit. No. And that will tell on, especially if we're adventure riders that are doing multi-day rides or multi-week rides, you're going to be pretty sore and stiff. Mm-hmm. Calf muscles, if you're standing in a wrong way with your legs bent too much, those muscles are burning. And by the second or third day, try getting out of bed. It's going to hurt. Yeah, Hands, neck. Everything. Yeah. Yep. You're just too stiff. You're not loosened up properly, warmed up properly. As we uh, age, that becomes even more important to stay physically fit. Standing versus sitting. Yes. Um, I have a buddy who is convinced standing is dangerous. So he rides trails sitting down. And when I'm behind him, It limits his enjoyment and, in my opinion, his safety because when we're on pavement, obviously, most of us have far more experience sitting down because the terrain was relatively flat and smooth. But even on pavement, if you hit potholes, then you're going to get that suspension change at the back of the bike right in the spine the suspension comes up and if your butt's on the seat, it can really hurt your spine. And that effect is even more pronounced if you have a passenger. So the person sitting in the middle of a teeter-totter doesn't move around much. The person at the back of the (laughs) teeter-totter, the passenger, they're going to get hammered. So our 
my wife and I had a signal. If I was about to hit a pothole or something that I just couldn't avoid, and you don't have time to turn around and say, oh, excuse me, honey, uh, stand up because we're about to hit something. What I would do is just crouch or I would bunch my shoulders upwards into my helmet. And that was a visual clue. Support your spine off the seat. So if my wife was hanging on to me, she would raise her butt off the seat. And then you can take that uneven terrain much, much better and safer because that can really hurt. Mm -hmm. So sitting, that's one of the main reasons of standing is it allows your body suspension, which is knees and elbows to work better. Because if your butt's flat on the seat, your knees cannot absorb any of the energy that bumps coming through the suspension of the bike will create if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. The other real brilliant component of standing we've talked about before is we can steer our motorcycle with our boots. So if you're riding along, standing up, and you take your left foot completely off the left foot peg, your bike will turn to the right. Peg steering. That's really hard to achieve sitting down. So when do you, do you have examples of when you would absolutely say that standing is the best? Not that everybody should, because if you're not comfortable, I know you said before, then you, you should probably shouldn't do it. You should, you should stay sitting. But so when would an example be that standing would be the best options? Well, if you want to stay seated in the example we were chatting about, uneven terrain, it's really bumpy, potholy roads. You cannot go fast. So on a in a traffic sense, it might not be safe to slow down to five miles an hour to go over potholy, bumpy roads. So standing up is brilliant for that because you can just bop right over those things with a bent knee and absorb the energy. Other instances when st sitting is not appropriate, if you're going up hills, and the steeper the hill gets, if you stay in a seated position, your weight is usually going backwards. We're standing, you can adjust your body position so it resembles any trees that are growing on the hill. So even though the hill is slanted, the tree is straight up and down, most of them. So again, hills are not always flat. They're certainly not paved off-road. So there's ruts, there's roots, rocks, bumps, and you can't absorb the energy that the suspension is throwing at your body if you're sitting down. You probably won't be on the seat. You'll be flapping behind the handlebars. So could you just maybe take one at a time here, first the sitting and then yeah. the standing position, and just walk through the basic uh, rider positions, just remind us how we should be sitting and then how we should be standing. Yeah, we started our boots. So when you put your feet on the pegs and you're sitting down, you don't. Uh, we prefer the balls of your feet or the toes to be on the pegs. And that way you're not interfering with the gear shifter or the rear brake, depending on the height of them, when you're riding. And then you move your toe to the lever, gear shift, or brake that you want to use. And it also puts a little bit of an arch in your foot and lower leg 
And that is better if you have to stand up because you're already in kind of a tiptoe spring position. So if your feet are flat on the ground, try leaping up in the air. You'll only get height from muscle movement through the knees and the legs. But if your toes, if your tiptoes are on the ground, you get much more spring out of it. So that's another reason why foot placement, we believe toes of the boot should be on the pegs. Sitting down. Toes are balls of the feet? Yes, exactly. Moving up, if you're sitting, we think you should squeeze the motorcycle gently with your inside of your knees and your calves of your boots. That way, it's giving you good purchase. That's critically important when standing, unless you're on a trials bike, because there's nothing there to grip. There's no seat. (laughs) But on every other kind of bike, Your legs help give you purchase, and that's comforting and provides confidence. If your knees are open, then you're only hanging on to the bike with your toes, butt, and hands. So an extra appendage of holding on with your inner leg gives us better confidence in riding and control. You can steer your bike with your knees when you're sitting down. And it, and it kind of lets you sort of slide your butt around as well, doesn't it? Because you're connected. Exactly. Yeah. A quick story, Jim. I actually <laughs> fell asleep on a motorcycle once. Oh. And I was working night crew. That's my excuse. So I didn't sleep. We're going to take just a quick break. I've got two things I want to tell you about, but stay with us. We'll get Clinton's story right after this. This is one of those incredible improvements for your motorcycle that just changes the way you ride. I'm really grateful for people like David and Heidi Winters from Atlas Throttle Lock because without that drive and enthusiasm, I would not have this incredible product on my motorcycle. I've tried other throttle locks, Nothing comes close to the Atlas Throttle Lock. Heidi and David set out to make a throttle lock after they searched all over and couldn't find one that worked for them, as I've done as well. And I'm not easily sold on anything for my bike. I like to have things that work really, really well and then stay out of the way. I don't like a whole bunch of things on the bike. This product, though, is one of those. It works so well. It solves a problem. It's a beautiful piece of craftsmanship. It's thin, unobtrusive on your handlebar. It has... Two buttons on it that offer firm, positive feedback when you press them. A tactile feel that tells you exactly what you're doing, so there's no need to look down. That's incredibly important from a safety aspect. But not only that, it's just comfort and feeling like, you know what, something's really well designed and you, you can just tell there's been so much thought put into it. Yeah, that's the Atlas Throttle Lock. So one button engages, one disengages, and it, and it just relieves your, your cramped hand, a fatigued wrist, a forearm, even your shoulder. I find feels better by giving it a break on those long stretches. Just a really, really nice piece of kit. And there's nothing better, I think, than dealing with companies that are owned and operated by motorcyclists as the Atlas Throttle Lock is. The website is atlasthrottlelock.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. atlasthrottlelock.com. 
See and be seen. That's the motto at Cyclops Adventure Sports, owned and operated by a family of motorcycle riders. They have all kinds of lighting and accessories, including CAN bus, plug and play systems, stuff that's specifically made for manufacturers like BMW, KTM, auxiliary lighting, and, and much, much more. Like their Evo or Evolution turn signal inserts, these things turn your turn signals for the front into these super bright driving lights that change to orange signals as soon as you activate the turn signal. And in the rear, they turn your turn signals into super bright tail lights. And then when you touch the brake, they come on even brighter with your brake light. I mean, these things are incredibly bright. I have them on my bike. And when I tap the brake, it just commands attention behind me. And that's what we want on the road. We want to be seen by other drivers out there, make them aware of us. Now, they've got a bunch of lighting on there, but what I have is I have these tiny two-inch Aurora auxiliary lights on my bike that are total powerhouses. Now, I replaced two much larger lights that I had on there, LEDs as well, but these tiny things are even brighter. They also have a cool orange ring around the outside that you can leave on all the time. I mean, just really nice stuff. You know what? It's stuff that you would expect coming from a company that is owned and run by motorcyclists. Cyclops Adventure Sports is the name of the company. The website is cyclopsadventuresports.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Cyclopsadventuresports.com. A quick story, Jim. I actually <laughs> fell asleep on a motorcycle once. <sighs> And I was working night crew. That's my excuse. So I didn't sleep the whole day. And we were traveling about 130 kilometers from Toronto to Aurelia to visit friends for the weekend. So my wife was on the back of a 900 Honda Custom. And I fought staying awake the whole way up this major highway. You know, the old trick of lick your eyelids. Uh, the visor was up. I was sticking my head outside the windshield coverage. I was changing lanes quite a bit just to keep mentally going with control of the bike. It's a horrible feeling to to do that. It's just a horrible feeling. You just, you get it's so stressful. It's so stupid too because I've so many people die because of distracted driving or they fall asleep. We finally got to the off ramp from the major highway into the little city we're going. And I'm convinced I just relaxed and said, oh, thank God we made it. And I banked it into the off-ramp, you know, 50 miles an hour or something, and I fell asleep. And my wife, my wife sensed that the bike wasn't continuing to arc around the curve. We were getting closer and closer to the edge and the guardrail and the big welcome to Aurelia sign. So she literally steered the motorcycle to the right with squeezing the motorcycle with her knees. So she's nowhere near the handlebar, but that jarring motion woke me up and I pulled the bike out of the crash. Wow, that was very, very lucky. Had you been alone, it could have been a different story or no oh, story yeah. at all. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So um, squeezing the bike with your knees, even as a passenger, can have a, a dramatic effect on the handling. So standing, um, there's the main advantage of it is absorbing rough terrain bumps. You're isolating the damage to your spine, 
by standing up. So there's two real positions. When you're about to go over that speed bump or the pothole or the log or just rough roads, a lot of gravel roads will get very, very bumpy 500 yards before the stop sign. Have you noticed that? Yeah. And it's cars and trucks, which are much heavier than us, putting the binders on the brakes and it chews up the road and it gets very, very bumpy. So I had a buddy who would always go on the other side of the road just before a stop sign. But, you know, if there's nobody around, that's okay. But you can't do that in traffic. So if it's really, really bumpy, stand up and bend your knees, grip the bike, either the tank or the top of the seat, depending on your leg length, etc. And then that way, you don't have to hang on to the bars really white knuckled. Your legs are helping you gain purchase on the motorcycle. And that isolates the bumps so you're not being hammered as you go over them. The other thing we were talking about with standing is if it's loose gravel, sand, then it works better to steer if you find the bike wandering a bit towards the right-hand side, simply lean weight into your left boot to pull it back to where you want it. So we control our steering with our feet while we're standing. That's a real advantage. Mm-hmm. So you, you were describing the, the actual standing position. So how do we do it? Oh, so stand up, bent knee, If you're going over bumps, if you're not going over bumps and you just want to stand up, then your legs are almost straight. The kneecap isn't locked, but you're supporting your weight with skeletal support rather than muscular support, which is the bent knee. And that you'll tire out if your knees are bent for a long, long time, that will wear you out, tire you out faster than standing like you would stand on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're standing at a tension. You're a guard at a in front of Buckingham Palace. Uh, they don't stand with a bent knee. Their legs aren't locked, but they're just standing normally. And that way you'll be able to stand up for a lot longer time. Uh, loose grip on the grips. And you're hugging, not squeezing too tight, but you're hugging the motorcycle with boots, calf of your leg and your knees. I have a little bend in my back also, Jim. So I'm leaning towards the handlebars. Elbows are up because that really helps with riding, especially hard off-road. And your, your helmet, your head, your eyes? Yeah, it's good to have your eyes open, looking where you're going. (laughs) You know that from experience, now we know that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, But looking up over the windshield, if your adventure bike's got a tall one, we don't recommend looking through a windshield, especially for, depending on where the sun is setting, or if it's dark, or if it's raining, your vision is not as good as looking above it, if you've got a good windshield on your helmet or goggles and but you're not looking down at your front wheel you've got to look down the road a few seconds of traveling time distance 
to determine, especially as an adventure bike rider, where the best traction is, the best lying. If your head is down, you're going to have trouble. You'll probably fall down eventually. I think it's good to um, to really point out or really sort of focus on what you were saying about holding on with your knees. The difference when you're standing up between just standing on the foot pegs and squeezing your knees to hold the tank or the seat, as you were saying, there is just huge for me anyway, from my experience, as far as feeling stable and secure. Exactly. So if you give your bike a shot of throttle while you're standing and your knees are open, well, then your weight is shifted backwards. You decelerate with brake or shutting the gas off and your weight goes forward. That's very disconcerting to a lot of riders. Mm -hmm. So you want purchase on the bike. That's why, you know, old motorcycles have rubber inlay in the fuel tank so you can really grip it with your knees when sitting down. That's why our adventure bikes, the fuel tank is tapered back. You know, I'm thinking of my old GSA. It's, I don't know how many gallons. It's 30 liters. It's a huge fuel tank. But where the rider sits is tapered back narrowly so I can get my knees around the bike. There's actually indentations in a lot of fuel tanks where the rider's knees will fit. So I'm, I'm thinking here, what, what I'd like to get from you is maybe just sort of like rapid fire style reminders for different conditions. So I thought, you know, we'll go through mud and sand and ruts and sort of yeah. go through like that. And then you can just give some, some sort of rapid fire reminders for those, some key points, top points, those type of things. You want to do Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. I think one statement that is synonymous with kind of everything we do, uh, let your friend go first. Right. Okay. <laughs> and it's it's surprising how good that works, actually. In reality, if you haven't tried it, it's, it's definitely worthwhile. I have no friends, though. <laughs> so, okay, let's, let's start off with um, mud. Yeah, um, you've got to gauge how deep it is a little bit. So if you've never done it before, letting your friend go, watch where they go. Don't follow them in really closely because you're going to get roosted. But what I'll do... If um, we didn't find any mud in the last trip I did in Mexico, but in Yukon, I will for sure. I'm going to park my bike in a safe place off to the side. I'm going to grab a stick or walk right in with my waterproof boots to see how deep it is. If there's previous vehicles that have gone through, it's probably all rutted up. If it's not a puddle and it's just mud, so you can kind of see where others have gone. Was that the best line choice? Maybe, but having a little walk through, look at it with a stick will really give me an idea of how I want to proceed. Just charging in there, you know, hoping that it'll work out well, doesn't sometimes. Then just before I enter the mud, I'm covering my clutch. I'm going to give it a shot of momentum, Jim which is something I think we could expand on later. That whole concept of momentum is lacking with a lot of adventure riders. But what you want to avoid in mud is excessive wheel spin from giving it too much throttle because it often doesn't just spin, it slides out to the right or left and it creates a fall. 
So that's why we cover our clutch. Uh, what I don't want is huge power going to the rear wheel and causing it to spin. We want torque traction rather than high RPM traction. So you're just kind of lugging it through. So I'm not talking about having it full throttle and then pulling your clutch in because that will generate a lot of heat in your clutch. And that's what happened in the deep sand in Bajas. People were fanning their clutch with a lot of throttle. So the throttle's on, and then they fan it. And it may help move the back tire that was getting stuck, but you're going to fry your clutch because of heat. Right. And that's one, been one of your recommendations you've always said was low RPM when you're slipping the clutch. It's meant Absolutely. to slip, but slowly. Yes. That makes sense. Okay. Um, did you have more for that? Yeah, standing up, because if it does start to wander one way or another, standing is your best option. But there's a backup. If it's about to fall, sit down and put your feet down. And don't stop. Keep that momentum and paddle your bike through. And then the backup, if you're stuck or you're a little nervous, walk your bike through. You're on the left side of it, holding the power delivery with the clutch, and you walk your bike through. That's like a, a backup option. Right. And that's mud. Okay. How about water? Yeah, water, if it's clear and you can see the bottom and it doesn't look two and a half feet deep, then you can proceed through, especially if you've done it before. But uh, part of a refresher is water courses can change with time, seasonally, you know, heavy rains, erosion, other vehicles causing big ruts. If it's murky water and you can't see the hole, that the truck caused in the water, don't go charging in there like I did. I think I related that story, Jim. I <laughs> went right over the handlebars yeah. in front of a group of students, and I ended up teaching how to tow a chief instructor. <laughs> <laughs> so again, same as mud, I'll park the bike, go have a look, and see, pick a line. Oh, there's not too many rocks here. Maybe I can kick a couple boulders out of the way and judge what the bank is like on the other side. I'm going to need some momentum to get out of this water course. And then environmentally, be really careful in water because you know there's a lot of things that live upstream, downstream, that you churn in the daylights out of it with heavy throttle. That's going to wreck maybe the spawning of the trout down the stream. So we've got to be conscious environmentally whenever we do water. If there's a way around or at least a way through without chewing it all up, then take that course because we don't own the forest. We don't own all the, the water streams that we're crossing. So we've got to be cognizant of not ruining it for others. Mm -hmm. But don't go blasting in second gear, you know, half throttle because – you may be uh, not on the bike any longer because there's a, a jet of water coming off of your front wheel, kind of like a bow of a boat, the bow wave it's called. 
And that can take your feet right. It's powerful. If you're going fast enough, that'll take your boot right off the foot peg. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's water. What about sand? Sand's probably one of the toughest things I think we do on big motorcycles. And I related in our last chat how the sand in Baja, which had been dried out from, you know, years of very, very little rain. And then when it did rain with a hurricane, it washed all the sand off of all the hills. But it would be a mile long flat portion in the valley of this flower-like consistency. That was the toughest sand I've ever ridden. But the general chat for sand is again standing, covering your clutch. You want momentum because if you go in at two kilometers or miles an hour, it drags energy away from your motorcycle. It slows down your bike. So you're going to have to have a little bit of throttle on, a little moment of power, but you control it with the clutch. If you get to a deeper section or a little bit of a a hill, you're going to have to light it up, add more power, because otherwise the bike stops. And the thing that I'd like to talk about in momentum later, Jim, is people's do not put the throttle on at the correct time. Mm. So they, once you're already stuck, then you hear the engine screaming. So both in snowmobiles and adventure bikes, we tell people, if you hear a lot of engine noise, but there's no tree going by, you're stuck. Stop giving it gas. <laughs> yeah. I always remember being out with my son. We have our, our two four-wheelers out and he's in the mud and he's just got the throttle pegged on the thing and it's stuck. It's stopped. All he's doing is blowing yeah. mud everywhere. And I'm waving because it's a big mud hole. I'm standing in front, moving around to the side, trying to get his attention, waving my hands. And I think, what are you doing? <laughs> Once you've stopped mo- moving, that's it. You're stuck. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> So, so many times our big, heavy adventure bikes, the rear wheel sinks into the soft terrain, mud, sand, or snow to a point where it's framed out. The bottom of the engine, the skid plate, is in the dirt or in the snow, whatever it is. More gas just gets you more stuck. It's not going to get you out. So, the best recourse, which I must have done 30 times on that day from hell in Baja, the bike is standing upright without a side stand. There's nobody on it. So I just drag it over, just drop it right on the ground carefully, and then drag the rear wheel to the left or right so it's out of the hole. Then fill in the hole so some other poor schmuck doesn't get in it. And then usually it takes two people in the sand to lift these big heavy bikes back up and then continue. Mm-hmm. And as, as a rider with experience, what you're feeling for as you're going through sand or anything, but in particular with sand, is when that w- rear wheel starts to drop down. When you feel, like we said, you're not going any further. The whole idea is not to frame it out, is to get pull your clutch in before. As soon as you start to feel that thing dig down, you can feel that downward motion Am I right? And, yes. and you pull the clutch in. Yeah, there's. it takes some experience, but you'll feel a resistance change 
the sound of the engine goes down, there's more more of a demand on your power because you're getting into really a, a terrain where it's sucking power away. And if you can light it up just before that, it's great. You might get through it. But after it's stuck, why give it more throttle? It's just frying up your clutch, using fuel, spraying sand. Uh, so many people offered to help people stuck, and they're trying to lift up from the back. Dumb idea. You're going to get covered in sand, mud, whatever the terrain is, and you're lifting the motorcycle up so this, it's not biting anymore. So we recommend pulling from a front engine guard. Just don't be in front of the bike, off to the side, and you'll have greater success. Oh, that's a great tip. And a strap really works well for that too. Oh, one strap excellent. going through the, the forks or two straps, one on either side. Yes. Yeah. And if you Fantastic. have the straps, I mean, if it's if somebody's stuck like that, if you have a strap, you can loop through the fork, then you can pull on it and hold one end of it. So once it gets going, just pull it out quickly. Exactly. The person has to continue on. Yep. Great idea. Okay. And um, so now uh, ruts. How about ruts? Yeah. It can be very dangerous ruts if they're deep, if people get in them and then change their mind and say, you know what, this, I don't like this. I'm going to move out of this rut now. Really bad idea. If you're traveling any kind of speed, it can wipe you out. Because the let's say you want to go to the left. What will happen is it'll outtrack the front tire will violently turn to the left when trying to get out of ruts. And the back wheel will slide to the right. And it can trebuchet the rider over the handlebars. It's a high side. So you got to be very, very careful. If you really decide you want to get out of the rut rather than follow it to its end, then slow right down. Uh, what we teach in dirt bikes is you put your left foot down and you pop a little wheelie and pull the front tire out of the rut to the left. A little tougher to do on a 600-pound adventure bike, mm. but the concept is similar that you would almost stop and then give it a little shot to see if you can get the front tire up the ridge of the rut to the left, then pull the clutch in and try the same with the rear tire. So it's two separate movements than, rather than one abrupt one because that's where you can high side. You know, just quickly, when it comes to ruts, do you recommend trying to ride between the ruts or do you always say go into the ruts or is it subjective? Well, first of all, I think you need the skill to put the bike where you decide you want to, in it, mm. beside it, on the crown. That comes from eyes up, peg steering while standing. That's the absolute best practice for ruts. So we've discussed that before. You know, you have a plank of wood or a painted line in a parking lot. See if you can ride that plank or that painted line. No, not You're saying not just as a test, you're saying do that as practice. Practice, absolutely. Yeah. And the idea is you can put your front wheel where you need it to be. But if your head's down, you're sitting down, the clutch is out. Uh, the bike's going to kind of go where it was last pointed. You're not really in control. You're just kind of sitting on it, and it's taking you where it wants. So uh, some ruts created by, let's say, really big tired vehicles. 
uh, Jeeps, four-wheelers, ATVs are in there, and it's soft. And they've gone down a foot and a half on, on a lot of my BMWs that heads, the cylinders are going to hit the side of the ground because my wheels have dropped into the rut so much. So I prefer not to go in there because it's hard to get the mud out of the fins. They're tough. You're not going to damage them, but still, I don't like caking all that mud in there. So I'll ride on the crown of the trail, which is the middle. You just have to be careful because if it's slippery, it's easy to slide down either the left or right ridge of the crown. Mm. Okay. Shall we uh, tackle hills? Let's, let's do uphill and then downhill. So uphill. Yeah. Hills, we think um, in practicing, you should do some small ones first. And it's all about momentum. The same with sand. If you wait until a big, heavy adventure bike is on an off-road hill, so the front wheel is now quite a bit higher than the rear wheel. If you wait to add a lot of throttle, at that point, it just sinks down. And you're probably not going to get up that hill. You're going to cause a great big hole for the other people trying to get up the hill. You're stopped on the hill obstructing it, not the safest or smartest place to be. So we recommend on small hills, it takes some experience and judgment, but you've got to select the gear and the approach speed that you think you require for that hill. And that has to be achieved before the front tire gets near the hill. So light it up, get your momentum and speed up that you think you're going to need to make that climb. And you have that before you're on the hill because adding heavy throttle, aggressive throttle while you're on the hill, gravel, sand, etc., that is a bad idea. So the, the key is we don't want to stop on the hill because it's really hard to get going again if it's off-road because the back wheel just spins. It's too much of an energy demand. And with a heavy bike, when it starts spinning, it usually starts sinking. So our approach to hills is you're standing up, you're looking up the hill to determine the best line. You know, maybe it's rutted heavily on the right. So you want to lean on your left foot peg and steer your bike while standing on the left side of the hill. Then I have that momentum so that as I reach the top, I haven't had to give it a lot more throttle. So I'm, I'm just maintaining throttle rather than increasing it. And then as I am cresting the hill, I can roll off the throttle and slip the clutch in. And I'm covering the clutch because a lot of people you'll see on an adventure bike, they're spinning the back wheel going up a hill. All of a sudden, they do a 90-degree turn to the left or right into the wall of the hill. And it's because applied too much throttle, lost traction, they were not covering their clutch and the motorcycle slid out, the back wheel slid out, mm. and they end up having to stop before they hit trees or go off the trail. 
And, and when you're saying covering so what, your clutch, what you're doing is you, you have your fingers on your clutch ready to pull it in the moment the bike deviates from your line. Exactly. And then you correct the steering and then let the clutch out again. Continue. You don't stop. Stopping is really tough on big hills on adventure bikes. And that, that clutch that you just mentioned and I, and I just questioned about, that's the same thing you're doing all the time. When you're saying you're covering the clutch, that's the reason because when the bike starts to, to slide out in any way or starts to step out, that's when you pull the clutch in to regain control, remove the drive to the back wheel. Exactly. And then you're taking away the problem. So one of our instructors, Pez, always says the throttle will get you into trouble now and again. The clutch will always get you out of trouble. Yeah, I like that. I like but that. it won't if your hand is tightly around the left grip, especially going up a hill that's a bit of a challenge because you're a little freaked out. You're hanging on tight. When all hell breaks loose, it's almost impossible to let go and go for the clutch. It's too late. Yeah, you've so, got to peel your fingers off of the grip and reach yeah. forward to grab the clutch lever, yeah. That white knuckle fear grip. Yeah, and likely your hand is in the wrong position as well because when you have your fingers over the clutch and over the front brake, your hands seem to be in the position, well, they are, they're in the position already yep. to, to activate those levers. But if they're not, then you have to reach and figure out where am I on the lever? Exactly. So it, on some longer, steeper hills, it may require a downshift from second to first to do the last bit of it. As the engine starts to lug and you're slowing down, you think, oh, crap, I'm not going to make it. Quickly downshift. Mm. Let the clutch out and continue. Can, can I ask you, Clinton, on this, since we're on the uphill thing, and, and just because it's come up a couple of times in conversation here in the last, uh, last six months or so, I guess, on the show, can you just talk quickly um, about if you aren't, if you you can't make it up the hill and you have to stop? Yeah, this happened in Baja. We were right on the ocean, uh, the Sea of Cortez, and the waves are crashing. We couldn't take our bikes right down to the waves because it was all really heavy rocks. So we were above it, taking pictures and chatting, and I looked maybe quarter of a mile away was a really steep hill going up this monster hill uh, trail. And I was thinking to myself, wow, that would be cool if I could get to the top of that hill and look out over the ocean and take a picture of all the guys' bikes and uh, uh, in a crowd down at the bottom. So I said to the guys, I'm wondering if I can make it up that hill. And they're going, you're crazy. You can't do that. So there may have been a little ego involved, Jim. <laughs> and as I approached the bottom of the hill, I could see that four-wheelers, there's a lot of desert racing in Baja. Mm -hmm. So they had created big ruts from their tires on the left and right side of the hill. So I didn't have much of an option going up the middle. I was going to have to take one of these ruts, but it was very, very rocky and Sandy. So I thought, okay, I'm going to really need some momentum. So I wound up this bike I was on, the stock tire bike, by the way, because again, my ego thought, oh, you know, I can ride this. Oh, I don't yes. For those who didn't listen to that episode or some missed it on the, on that episode, we talked about that a couple of weeks back. You rode a bike to Baja with stock tires because you didn't yeah. want to bother changing them. Yeah. What an idiot. So 
a good soft 50-50 tire would have vastly improved my chances to get up this hill. But I thought, you know, the guys are watching. I already said I could do it. I guess I got to go now. So I lit this bike up, a Tenere 700, standing up. I'm hauling in second gear and about maybe halfway up, the bike is bouncing around, getting airborne on the rocks. So I'm losing momentum. When I came back down and reapplied throttle clutch, it was lugging now because I've lost so much speed. So I quickly downshifted and hit the throttle again and clutched my way all the way to the top, barely making it. And there's a little video I could send you about it. Okay. Some, yeah. some guy at the bottom, and they're all screaming, woo And I felt elated. But then I thought, that was so steep and rocky. There's no way I'm going back down that to meet the guys. So I took a couple pictures, and I found a long way around to get to the bottom, which took me about five minutes. Well, I guessed a, the three or four minute, and my I disappeared at the top of this hill. One of my buddies, Pez, who works with us, was on the trip and he's going, you know what, maybe he's crashed up there and the bike's on his leg burning him. Jeez, uh, I don't want to, but I better go up there and look for Clinton. So he's on the exact same kind of bike, uh, but he's got good tires, but he didn't use quite enough momentum. He said he kept it in second gear and the same thing happened when he was bouncing around that was disconcerting to him. So he lost speed, lost momentum. He had to stop on the hill. Mm. So by that time, I came back down around and there's Pez stuck on the hill. And I thought, well, I know why he went up there. I got to go help him. So I parked at the bottom of the hill, walked probably three, 400 yards up the hill. Our conventional way of turning a motorcycle around on a hill, if you're stopped, and I say turning around because the likelihood of you getting a heavy adventure bike from a stopped position on a hill forward up the hill to the top, pretty remote. <laughs> you'll, just, you'll just dig a hole, spin the tire, burn your clutch out, burn your tire up. It's smarter to turn around and go back down and either hit it harder or find another trail. Mm -hmm. So we teach if you can envision sitting on your bike on the hill the engine's off well hang on let's talk about first what you're doing to stop because you okay. know you can't just go up and put the front brake on for instance no uh, what we do is leave the clutch in. we're gonna stop for just one second i have one thing i want to tell you about then we'll be back with more stay with us If you stand up on your foot pegs in the rough stuff, which you should be trying to do, you need serious proper foot pegs because everyone knows that having the proper tool for the job is how you get things done. And in some cases, it's the only way to get things done. I remember the day I installed IMS pegs on my bike because it was monumental. I was heading out for the weekend on Vancouver Island. I was going to be running back roads, all dirt. So it would be logging roads and trails. I had changed the pegs and then I went ahead and loaded the bike. I got myself dressed, did everything else I had to do. And by the time I swung my leg over the bike, I'd forgotten all about the foot pegs. As I rode down my driveway, I stood up onto my pegs because the driveway is rough and, and dirt. Immediately when I stood up, 
I felt more connected to my bike than I'd ever felt before. I'd been riding this bike a long time up to that point. And so it went over the next few days. I was surprised again and again, situation after situation that I would get into, how much more control, how much better control I had over my bike. It could almost be described as changing between a full street tire and a knobby tire in mud. You can imagine that that difference. It was that much of a difference. IMS Products has been doing this stuff since all the way back in 1976. 76, you know, like bell-bottom pants and the first Bigfoot monster truck. You remember that? And they pour all that experience into every product they make, including this full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs. Made in the USA, warranted for life. You will not go wrong with these. They look great, but what they do for your, your riding skills is jaw-dropping. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Well, hang on. Let's talk about first what you're doing to stop. Because you, know, okay. you can't just go up and put the front brake on, for instance. No. Uh, what we do is leave the clutch out and stomp on the rear brake. And stall the engine. And then sit down. Absolutely. Right. So now the bike is in first gear with the engine off. So that's key. Going up the hill, you're not going to pull in the clutch, think I can't make it, keep the engine running, put on the front brake, because that's just going to lock up the front wheel and you're going to slide down the hill with the, with the front wheel yeah. locked up. The, you're stomping on the brake and stalling the engine on purpose to lock up that rear wheel and hold yourself in position. Absolutely. And there's no mechanical damage to the bike. But if you just pull in both levers, there's going to be some screaming. <laughs> yeah, as you go down you're backwards. Going backwards. <laughs> I've done it many times till I became a BMW instructor and, and the German gentleman teaching it, Thomas Wolf, that's what he taught us. Mm-hmm. Leave the clutch out, don't cough, and stomp on the brake. And it's um it's magic. So now you can just relax, let go of the handlebars, have a look around. Oh, good. No other idiot followed me up the hill. I appear <laughs> to be by myself. Then what we do with the clutch out, you don't start it or anything. Turn your handlebars full lock to the left. Lean the motorcycle over as far as you can onto your left leg. Your right foot is on the peg. Then with the bars at full lock, you break the hold of first gear anchor by slipping the clutch really slowly and smoothly. Don't pull it right back to the bar because it's going to be a very quick reversal (laughs) and crash. So the engine is not running and you're using the clutch, kind of like a a reverse brake. Exactly. So you slip the clutch a little, the bike moves back a foot, two feet, let the clutch out. Reposition your foot, have a couple of breaths, lean it over because the sidewall really helps the front wheel turn. And there's no chance of it tipping downhill if it's leaned uphill. Slip the clutch and you do this pirouette, this little semicircle turn until the bike is, you've lost all the gravity that pulling the clutch in and the downhill has provided. And then with the clutch out, you wiggle the bike handlebars full lock to full lock until you're pointing downhill. Right, and that moves the front end around slowly by each turn, moves the front end downhill. Yeah, Um, we've got a good YouTube video of me doing that on a GSA. I actually did stop on purpose. I 
I could have got up that hill, Jim, in the video, but I stopped with the clutch out. And that's the hardest thing to remember when this happens to you, which is why we recommend you practice it. Who has ever stopped their motorcycle without pulling the clutch in? Yeah. We've never done it. Yeah, it's counterintuitive. That is the toughest thing in this lesson. So many people pull the clutch in and now there's no anchor. The bike simply rolls back down the hill if you have your front brake sliding. The front wheel just slides. Mm -hmm. So you have to physically force yourself to grip the left handlebar tight, go up in first gear, and then just stomp on the rear brake. Blah. Engine's dead, let go of the clutch, and relax. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you mentioned that you're pointing downhill now, the startup? Yes. So with the clutch in, hold it with the front brake, and it works now because the front wheel's lower than the rear wheel. So the weight transfers, compressing the front suspension, great contact uh, traction with the front tire on the ground. And then you fire it up. If you're going to ride it down, let the clutch out slowly, stand up, get your butt back, because we don't want extra weight on the front wheel. Eyes up, pick a line, and we use one finger front brake to control our descent speed. And if it's really sandy, muddy, I'll add uh, gently breathing on the rear brake. You don't want to use just rear brake. I guess we'll talk about that in the downhill because that doesn't work yeah. very well. Yeah. Okay. And, and downhill's next, of course. So um, you may as well just jump right into that. Yeah. Downhill. You've crested the hill, you're going down the other side. You've got to have your head up picking a line. And you don't want to go flying off the top of the uphill, woohoo, you know, getting air, because it could be a cliff on the other side. You don't know if the downhill is steeper, rutted, tree down. So you crawl up the hill and then have a look. You know, that doesn't look too steep, it's not too rocky. I think I can do it. So what I want is first gear with a clutch pretty well out. So I'm now gaining engine braking traction. If you pull the clutch in, the suspension goes up and your speed goes up. And then you have to grab brakes abruptly. And that can cause a crash. So when downhill... We don't want to go from fast till slow speeds. We want to go from slow speed to slower. And then traction is easier to maintain. So the clutch is all the way out almost. I'm standing with my butt back, eyes up, scanning for the best line. And very little throttle, if any, on. Just let gravity take you down the hill so technically you don't even need the engine on you could just use the clutch and Mm. engine braking if it's steep or ugly okay how about rocks now i know rocks you could probably look at in a couple of, of different ways maybe more i guess i was thinking like rolling moving rocks or large surface rocks so in other words if it's a rocky area 
Yeah, boy, you don't need a lot of speed because your front wheel will bounce off, maybe ride up the side of one of these rocks, and that can wipe you out. So um, the high-speed rock people are on 250s. If you're on a big, heavy adventure bike, the suspension isn't quite as good as a 250. It's not as got as doesn't have as much travel. So you're going to have problems on big, heavy bikes if you're trying to go down rocky hills fast. And what's the race? We don't need to. We're just going to our campsite or motel or complete the trail. So there's no urgency. So I strongly recommend go downhill when there's big rocks or uphill or even flat ground rocks as slowly as possible. And I say as possible because we do need momentive power to get over some of these rocks. Standing is best, but there's the backup of sitting down and paddling rather than crashing. But if you can stand, use your peg steering to zig and zag between the largest of the rocks. So you're changing your line dramatically a lot more when the terrain is rocky. When it gets into to moving rocks, like small rolling rocks, those type of rocks, they're quite difficult. Are, are there any tricks to that? Yeah, um, you minimize it as best you can by zigging and zagging around them. But if you hit them, you need momentum because that's a little obstacle that's going to take away some of your speed. And so if it's a big enough rock and slows you down enough, then now you're in trouble. But you can bounce over a lot of them. So you've got to be standing, have good suspension, good tires for the best traction you can attain, and then a little shot of throttle just before you hit those because that elongates or stretches the front suspension. So now when I hit it, it doesn't bottom out. It will allow me more spring is better when hitting obstacles. So that's mm. why I give it a little shot of throttle. In essence, when you give it a shot of throttle, it's, it's um, as you said, elongating the forks, but it also reduces the spring pressure. So allows the, the front wheel to move up easier, absorbing exactly. the impact of the rock easier. Yes. And it's maximizing our ground clearance because you may get the front wheel over, but your skid plate, hopefully you got a good one, it smokes into the rock and that just stops you and could be damaging if you don't have a good skid plate. That's one of the first things I put on an adventure bike in addition to a good 50-50 tire is a really good encompassing skid plate. And it'll minimize your use of uh, JB weld repairs on the <laughs> side of a rocky trail. Hmm. Our last one is obstacles. Yeah, so the rider in front of you's fallen off. You got to <laughs> give it a shot of gas. Oh, no, you mean <laughs> Not more those like... those kinds of obstacles. Okay, logs. That's what we... I always ask people, have any of you ever uh, run over an instructor? <laughs> If they say yes, I'll say, I'd like to introduce Pez and Louise. They will be teaching you. They're taking over for today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a tree's fallen. There's no branches that are in the way. doesn't mean that you've got to stop. If it's only, you know, six, eight inches, even a heavy laden 
adventure bike will walk right over that if the rider's practiced and is confident in doing it. So if it's a long, narrow obstacle, i.e. a tree log, you want to hit it as perpendicular as possible. So the log is the top of the letter T, and the stick part of the letter T is your approach line. If you hit it at an angle, you might get the front tire over, but as you know, Jim, the back tire kind of slides and bounces along the length of it, Mm-hmm. And it may cause you to crash. So that's why I say perpendicular. We stand up, and if it's larger than the height, or the, the height of the log is taller than the axle of your front tire, you've got to do a little bit more work and technique to get it over there safely. What I do is one yard before my front tire reaches the log. I compress my body downward while standing into the foot pegs and handlebar. So I'm compressing or preloading the suspension on my bike. So then the yard goes by and then just before the front tire hits the log, I unload the suspension. So I've squished the spring and now I'm going to help it bounce back up with clutch and throttle. I'll give it a little shot. And that lifts the front tire up, not so much in a wheelie, but it's expanding the suspension, elongating it like we were talking about with the rocks. Right. So when I hit the log, I've got as much spring as came with that bike because I've stretched it up with preloading, compressing it first, and then unloading it with throttle. Mm. And that really helps get the front tire over. But now, i just given it a shot of throttle. I didn't give it a four-second blip of throttle. Because if your back wheel hits the obstacle, tree, whatever, when it's under power and spinning, that could cause a fall. Or it will bounce the rear tire high up above the log, which can be unsettling. So the trick is to just give it enough throttle to get the front tire and skid plate on the obstacle. So then what I'm doing is when slipping the clutch, I momentum bounce the rear tire up and over the log. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's very easy to practice with a four by four post or a small tree log. It's best if it doesn't move around a lot. So we stake our logs into the ground or bury them into the ground so they don't move. Because that adds an extra element of challenge if the log is rolling around. You said you wanted to expand on momentum and you've mentioned yes. momentum a lot. So l- let's talk a little bit about momentum and, and it's maybe it's kind of misunderstood by some people as well. Yeah, it is. Uh, basically, it's movement of the vehicle and what changes in our momentum challenge us, especially as adventure bike riders, is terrain challenges. So let's talk about sand or mud It's like running into the ocean. Your forward speed slows down 
when you're in sand and mud, snow, whatever. So if you want to go through it at the same speed, you have to have more power applied with the throttle. But that can be problematic if it's loose terrain and the back wheel's just going to spin around on you. You're not going any faster, even though it's making more noise. So momentum, appropriate applied momentum, is usually before you hit the terrain challenge of sand or mud. So with that, though, yeah. you, you do have to be careful of too much momentum with that. In particular, in, the, in that example you're giving with the sand and the mud, because if you hit it too hard, then the front wheel can catch, slow down too quickly. Gone. Right. Yep. So that experience comes with practice and judgment skill, but a, that's a lot of what is lacking with adventure bike riders. And they normally lean towards being too tentative with the momentum. So they enter that real sandy area because they, oh my God, their brain is saying to them, oh, I hate sand, I hate sand. God, I hate sand. And that's the wrong attitude to approach. And they're looking down at the deep sand. I think what you have to, I talk to myself a lot when I'm riding, Jim. I'm saying, <laughs> okay, we can get through this. Look at the other side, light it up. And light it up is my little momentum um, you know, if I was on a horse, I would have just clicked my heels into it and said, you know, we want a little bit more power built up, a little bit more speed because I'm anticipating the terrain slowing me down. Right. So I've already got that there. But I'm covering my clutch in case the front wheel gets a little washy. And I can adjust my momentum with the clutch. But having the clutch on is really, really important. You know, Where people go wrong, though, Jim, what I see, and I saw so much in Baja on that really sandy, ugly trail, is when they lost momentum, they applied the throttle too late, and the bikes just sank. If you're on a 250 motocross bike, a trials bike, you can wait until you're in the mud and sand and light it up. You're probably not going to get stuck because it weighs 200 pounds or less. But our big heavy bikes, they just sink and your forward momentum is gone. Now you will have just back wheel downward momentum. You're stuck. <laughs> it's all over. Another one I think that people might be able to even picture easier is going over something like a rock, uh, some sort of high point, even just say a ditch, for instance. You ride into a ditch, and if you don't keep your momentum up as you go through the bottom of the ditch, that's the spot that's going to get you. And quite often, that's where someone will stop. And, and it's those stopping in the spots that I was thinking about that creates so much trouble because you can't even get going again. Yeah, part of that, I think, is balance because they're going five miles an hour towards the little hill or the ditch or rock or whatever. Then their front tire hits the incline or the rock. Their speed drops because of now you're on a little bit of a tiny hill or sand, whatever. When the speed drops, now at two kilometers an hour, they're not comfortable standing up or sitting with their feet on the pegs because they know generally a fall comes shortly after 
going two kilometers or miles an hour. So they put their feet down, pull in the clutch and stop. Mm. And then they try to go with heavy throttle because the average throttle that you would use to take off isn't enough because you're, you're in this situation, hill, sand, rock. And when they light it up, the front tires higher than the rear, it just sinks. They generally stall the bike or they get stuck. So I saw it time and time again in the sand where people were, they're going along, going along, and then soft sand slowed them right down. They put their feet down and they didn't apply throttle soon enough. So their momentum was gone. Mm. Then they're stuck. I wonder if part of it is planning as well. When, when somebody's, for instance, looking at the ditch, they look at the ditch and they think, okay, I have to ride down this little hill to get into the ditch. And then that's as far as they plan, you know? And so they get there and they think, okay, now how do I ride out? Well, it's not going to work. Whereas they should have sort of planned the whole thing, realized even in your planning process that I do not want to stop in the ditch. I do not want to stop on that rock. I don't want to stop halfway over that log, that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. If you want to collect your thoughts, et cetera, stop before there. Right. And then say, okay, I'm going to need quite a bit more throttle. That hill looks really deeply rutted from the previous rider stuck there. If I'm going to get through there, boy, I got to really light this thing up and then proceed. But if you stop on the hill and then give it gas, you're done. This happened with a nice guy on our trip named Matt. He had a, a GS 1250, looked brand new, and he got stuck on this little hill. Might have been six feet of elevation change. So very, very gradual, but it was incredibly soft sand. So I rode through it, and I wasn't on the rev limiter, but I was screaming that bike because I had you know, pretty well street tires. And it walked right up it. Then he came, he didn't give it enough throttle and the bike stopped right on the hill. Then he thought, well, wide open, that'll do it. And the bike framed out. It just, the back wheel was half gone. So I went back and uh, suggested, why don't we try this technique to get it out, tip the bike right over on the ground and then drag the wheel out of the hole, fill in the hole. And then I said, let's back it backwards down the hill. Then I put it on the side stand. And if you lean the bike towards your body, you can get the back wheel off the ground. I had to put a rock under the side stand. Mm -hmm. And I spun it on the side stand. Now, you've got to be careful. Some adventure bikes... This, if the side stands attached to an engine case, don't get on with your side stand down and don't try to spin the bike on the side stand. But it's a trick we teach on the GSs. They're very strong side stands. So I spun it around and then suggested, okay, take it back out and light it up this time. Lots more momentum and you'll get through this sandy hill. Sadly, he got stuck in exactly the same spot. <laughs> So he was pretty tired and frustrated. So I thought, you know what? Um, and he was thinking it was because his bike was that much heavier than my bike. But I was thinking it was more lack of momentum. So I, I walked his bike up it with lots of throttle. It, it just 
walked right up. They're tractors, but you need momentum. Okay. I, I think that kind of wraps it up. We've got a we've got a pretty good refresher there, Clinton. That was great. Yes. Thank you very much. I mean, My pleasure. Always fun to sit down and chat about this stuff. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I hope you get your bike out soon. This weekend, we get all of our bikes out. The instructors are coming back, Jim, for what we call recertification. Because most of us haven't taught all winter, four or five months. So they have to do their lessons in front of their fellow instructors, which is a tough audience, I might add. (laughs) And it makes them read over their book before they show up because you don't want to forget any points because it will be quickly brought to your attention. And that way, the customers who show up the week after, they're getting a fresh lesson, like with no points forgotten kind of thing. So that's this weekend, but we're all going to ride regardless of the weather. It should be fun. Thanks, Clinton. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All the best. Okay, cheers. Take care. I was speaking with Clinton Smout from the Smart Adventures base in Ontario, Canada, where they teach all levels of motorcycle riding, as well as ATVing, actually. The website is smartadventures.ca. Now, in the show notes for this episode, we have some photos depicting some of what we talked about today. And there's also the video of Clinton making that hill climb in Baja that he talked about. The video is only on our websites in the show notes, so you're going to have to go there to see it. That's all at adventureriderradio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it i I always love rider skills it's just a blast i love talking about that kind of stuff and i always learn so i really enjoy that special thanks to our producer elizabeth martin and of course you thank you very much for listening and being a part of the show by listening to it now the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support we certainly hope you would at least consider supporting the show don't think that everybody's doing it because very 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 few people actually support the show compared to how many people are listening so drop by our website adventureriderradio.com and click on support have a look at what we've got there to offer now while i'm talking about this stuff we have all the show notes on the website so every episode we do has photographs in there and links in there and, and other information so it's well worth your while drop by our website every now and then and have a look at the show notes for each episode that you're listening to the other thing i wanted to mention to you was adventure rider radio raw that's the other show that we do comes out once a month it's released on the 20th of each month and it's a separate feed. So you need to subscribe separately. So if you search a podcast app, you'll search for Adventure Rider Radio and very likely you'll get Adventure Rider Radio and Adventure Rider Radio Raw. 
the two different looking logos, easy to spot. Anyway, Raw is very popular as well. People really enjoy listening to the group sit around and talk about everything to do with motorcycle travel. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin, and I will talk to you next week. This is Dr. Gregory W. Frazier, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 